Just a robot? Is that what you think a robot sounds like? Yeah, yeah. I was a robot <laughs> communicating. Yeah, saying, what, what were you saying? I was saying, welcome to Nacho Fama. Oh, gosh, Christian please stop, podcast. please stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a mistake. You what hey, With- uh, you'll be very happy. You know what I got for Easter? What? A mask. Oh, good. Good for you. Who gave it to you? Uh, my mother-in-law. She made it. Oh. It was in my what- Easter basket. What is it? What does it look like? Um, I have not uh, pulled that out of the basket. Oh my god, <laughs> Eric! You know that that I Ken gone, listens to this. I haven't gone anywhere. Ken, your father-in-law, listens to this. I know, but I haven't gone anywhere since then. It, it was Sunday. Even, you haven't even tried it on. No, I was like, oh, thanks. You didn't even. You didn't even just like say, oh, thanks. Let me check this out and put it on. No, I got the candy out of it though. Oh it, my gosh! It was Reese's uh, egg, so we put that sucker in the freezer because you got to. Obviously, what but about yeah. York peppermint patties? Uh, I can't remember the last time I had a peppermint patty. Well, oh, I, man, I like York peppermint. Patties. I don't want to feel like I'm brushing my teeth while I'm eating my candy. You know what I mean? No, no. See, I disagree with you. I like York peppermint patties. You know what else is even better? Junior mints. Oh, junior mints so suck. What? Those are like my favorite. I love junior mints. See, they can be your favorite, and they can still suck. No. No, no. Yeah, I bet if you look up like um, how much they sell, I bet you it's like the bottom of the bottom no, of no candy way. sales. Junior mints are everywhere. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up. It doesn't matter if they're everywhere. I don't think they're sold very well. Well, we're doing this like we've been doing all of our stuff on online. We're doing a Skype. We normally do Zoom, but uh, we had an interview. But I have been in more Zoom meetings than I care to count, and at this point. I appreciate the fact that we have them. I appreciate the fact that we're able to, like, we're able to talk to people. I, I There's people I'm talking to and communicating with that I never was on a regular basis. Now I am because of Zoom. So that's a good thing. I'm not complaining about that. But I'm sick and tired of Zoom. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of doing all this online. Like, this is the week that I was extra, like, I am so done with having to be a pastor online. Like, I know I still got to do it. I know I still got time, but this is the week. It's like, I am done with it. I hate doing Zoom meetings now. I hate doing Zoom hangouts. I hate doing Facebook lives and YouTube lives. I just, I don't want to do it. I want to see people. I want to sit in front of someone with a cup of coffee. I want to be at church with people. I'm just kind of getting tired of it. How do you feel? Yeah, no, I agree. And, and you know what else I'm tired of? Everybody's Instagram story is a picture of their computer on Zoom. It's like, we know everybody's doing it we know there's nothing there's there's nothing special about it. like every time that i look at anybody's story it's like the oh, zoom hangout zoom party i'm like i know everybody's doing that it's it, but i think that people just want to put stuff on social media and that's all that anybody's doing so so we don't know what else to put up out there uh, but we know we should also mention uh, that uh ex-host of not your mama's christian podcast air topper uh pour one out r.i.p yeah r.i.p uh, got married over the weekend of us recording now, it, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be like a weekend, a couple of days. Um, but uh, we actually had to watch his wedding online, YouTube Live, and we were Zooming while doing it. So like I already – it's just I'm mad at Zoom. Not that it's their fault, but I'm <laughs> mad at Zoom that I had to watch – that we had to watch our best friend's wedding 
online. You know what I mean? Like I was like, it just it just wasn't the same. We wanted to be there in person, and I and we want to be in church in person. We wanted to be with our friends in person. I'm just so sick of it all, yeah. just like you. And uh, I'm losing it. I am losing it. <laughs> I'm I'm so appreciative of the fact that Zoom is here, so we can still do it. Yeah. But you're my scapegoat now. Because when I think of you, Zoom, I think of the fact that I'm not with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's, and it's your fault now, Zoom. Yeah. First, you were helping me still stay connected. We well, you know what? I'm sick of being connected this way. I'm sick of people jumping on calls and not and having trouble hearing everybody. That right. there's that one guy, their mic is just through like tinfoil. I don't know what's wrong with that person. Like, I'm yeah. sick of all that. I just want to be in a room with people and be able to give a high five and <laughs> be able to not feel like I'm about to interrupt somebody else and no one knows when someone else is going to talk. We're losing yeah. all of our social cues because we can't tell because it's through Zoom. It's like, oh, I'm just done with it. But And he, here's the hard part about Zoom is that like when you're hanging out in a group of people, say you got 10 people, there are like side conversations going everywhere. Two people talking to each other there, three people over there. With Zoom, you obviously can't do that. Everybody has to be in on the same conversation, which then limits the conversation that you can have and it makes it not as fun. And then, yeah, you're right. You're like scared to step on anybody's toes. Or you do chat and you have your side conversation privately. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what normally seems to happen. And even we haven't done a podcast together Together since all this, we've been right. doing all this, which I actually don't mind not being around you as much. <laughs> but this interview that we did was hard. This is the hardest interview we've had, not because of who we interviewed. He's we've had him before; he's great. But it was because we didn't know. We normally can give ourselves a little cues, like Shane. I've been doing this for a while, where he knows if like I'm leaning away from the mic that I'm that I'm letting him talk and vice versa. We can normally read each other a little bit, knowing who should be saying what at certain times. When you do it over, when there's a three-way Skype call, it's like, it was impossible. Like Shane and I kept interrupting each other. We didn't know who was supposed to talk next. It was just rough. But even with that, I still thought it was a pretty good interview. I don't yeah, know. Oh, you. yeah. Well, well, I guess we should talk about who we interviewed. Um, we brought on Brady Shearer from uh, Pro Church Tools, and uh, uh, he's a creator of Pro Church Tools and Nucleus. And uh, we had him on about a year and a half or so ago, which we talk about in, in our interview. And uh, Brady is a specialist in online social media and production online for churches specifically. So we were like, we need to reach out to Brady and have him on the podcast again amongst everything that's going on with COVID-19 and how all churches are now forced into this live streaming process. Some are doing it well, many are not. And it's a difficult thing to navigate because a lot of pastors don't even know how to do this. And um, and so, and a lot of churches are, are really struggling with this. So we were like, we need to reach out to Brady and uh, get him on here. And he was kind enough to come on and uh, share a lot of wisdom of what churches can do to... Ha- on how to be effective in ministry, even though we're not able to be in together in person. So um, let's get to our break. Uh, let's get to our interview with Brady Shearer.
we're here with Brady Sear, uh, the creator of Pro Church Tools and Nucleus. Brady was on our podcast a while ago, about a year and a half or so ago. I, we don't remember the exact date, but uh, it's good to have Brady on here. We needed to reach out to you right away, Brady, once we uh, figured that we were stuck in this whole live stream process. So how have you been? How have things been with Pro Church Tools? Give us an update on how you guys are doing. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's been a bit of a whirlwind in these last uh, couple of weeks. We've had so many churches reach out through DMs, through support, through chat, either signing up for our services or just asking for feedback, answering questions. But, you know, we've been uh, we've been enjoying the process. Uh, sh- should I reintroduce myself, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. you know what? Go ahead. You'll, you'll be a better job at it than Shane was. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Sure thing. So, yeah, uh, my name is Brady Shearer. I run a company called Pro Church Tools, and we're helping churches navigate the biggest communication shift in 500 years. That is not in reference to COVID-19. It was originally a tagline put together in reference to the digital media revolution and how we're embracing it, this podcast as, as one example, and helping churches to use these digital platforms to take the message of Jesus and share it with uh, the world, because now we have the ability to share that hope of Christ with people, not just in our Sunday services, but at all times. Now, of course, at this point, our Sunday services have kind of merged with all those other times, mm-hmm. and so we're in a little bit of a, a, a unique period right now, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we have our own podcast, YouTube channel, website, ProChurchTools.com is where you can find all that. So much like uh, the, how if somebody bought stock in Zoom like two months ago, they're really cashing in now, you guys are probably in the same boat, right? Like if people didn't know about you before COVID-19, so many people are learning about the services that that pro church that, that church pro church tools offers and all those sort of things i mean have you just seen a huge spike in the amount of people i know you reference people reaching out to you but have you seen are you like so busy now <laughs> yeah i'd say our growth trajectory kind of doubled since this began mm-hmm. so you know if we were growing x percent on one platform or another or in revenue it's about doubled in 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 growth rate and so it, not so much that we can't handle it all uh, but certainly, you know, working a little bit more than, than normal. But, I mean, it's really re- rewarding work as we're helping churches really embrace platforms and change in ways that we've been suggesting and recommending they embrace it for years. And and you know what? Sometimes you just need a little uh, kick in the butt to in- embrace that change. And we would not have had it happen this way if it was up to us, but it has happened this way. And so we're helping churches navigate that as best we can. How do you feel that churches are currently and this is gonna be a really hard question probably because church there's so many different churches but uh, uh, how do you find that churches are responding to now being forced to go another approach online um, the churches that are thriving why are they doing so well and the churches that were had trouble what what do you think are some of the reasons why they had trouble to respond to to this sure well I mean on a philosophical level there are a number of forces that are kind of in the way of what I see the church being called to over the next five years. And these are pretty unrelated to the coronavirus, but are really at the like forefront as these two things have intersected. Uh, the first is just a general decline in church attendance. And this is kind of 
not necessarily the church's fault, I would say. I mean, certainly we play some role in it. But church attendance has just been declining pretty steeply since 2010. Uh, and, and that is right around the time when digital platforms became super relevant. Now, correlation doesn't equal causation, so I'm not necessarily going to draw that line and say that is the exact reason. But it certainly plays a role. And when people are attending church less, the problem with that, you know, not that faith is going anywhere, not that relationships with Jesus are going anywhere, but the church's entire economic model is built upon in-person services. And so if you see a considerable decline in attendance, and it's not necessarily because of what your church has done, but just because of cultural change, that puts you in a pretty precarious situation. I, I like to, re- to you know, equate it to Blockbuster. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but like mm-hmm. growing up, every corner store would rent videos to you yeah. because like you may as well, everyone needed videos. So a corner mm-hmm. store was like, Ooh, a little bit of extra revenue, throw it in like the back wall. We'll rent people videos and then they can watch, you know, um, movies, rent them when they get their gum and smokes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you could pretty much just set up any type of video rental, any blockbuster, as long as there were people, it would make money. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the demand for video rentals plummeted. And it wasn't like Jim's blockbusters fault. It was just nobody wanted them anymore. And so when your economic model is entirely tied into a, a type of commodity that disappears, then you're in a vulnerable vulnerable position. And then you combine that with the fact that most leaders of churches are in their 50s, upper 50s, and 60s, and they may not be as equipped to shift into a world of digital because they just didn't grow up with it. Mm-hmm. And so when you're not as you know, apt with the certain technology and the nuances and the cultures of a digital world, making that transition is even more difficult. And so, you know, COVID is putting this at the forefront and we're seeing this. Um, But I, I, with all that being said, I've been pretty impressed with how churches have been able to make the shift. And Mm -hmm. I think that's also because of how amazing digital technology is. I mean, if nothing else, you can live stream from your mobile device now directly Mm -hmm. to social platforms where everyone is spending their time. And that's definitely helped with allowing our churches to be nimble, even if those other two forces are still at play. Yeah, absolutely. We we've been our church. We've been live streaming our services for years since we started in 2016. And so when this all happened, it wasn't like okay, well, what do we do now? We've been doing this, but there are still some some issues that we've had to overcome because it is a different setting, doing it from my home and all these different things. But there are a lot of churches who haven't been live streaming, and then all of a sudden on. A Wednesday, they were like, crap, we have to live stream by Sunday, and we've never done this, and we have to try to figure it out. But I think it's a good thing that we can bring some more churches into the digital age. So what what do you see as some positives that can come from this negative situation as a whole for churches? Oh, certainly. One of the biggest ones that I see is a refocus on the purpose of the local church. It's really easy to conflate how we do church with why we do church. You know, we're all prone to something like that. Um, It's just human nature. And so, so much of us uh, have gotten really wound up into like the service and, and how to do the service and the best way to do services. And what's amazing about the suspension of services is that it's forcing us us to ask the question, okay, what would we do? How would we fulfill our church's mission if we couldn't meet in person? And there are so many ways that you can fulfill that mission beyond large in-person gatherings. Not to say that those in-person gatherings are important, but I always say innovation thrives in limitation. You take something away and you narrow the potential 
number of choices to choose from, suddenly the choice becomes a little bit more easy. And they've done studies with this, you know, with flavors of jam, flavors of ice cream. You go to an ice cream shop, they've got 38 flavors. It's like, it's hard to choose because like, what if you choose the wrong one? And then what you do is you just get like four scoops of each flavor that you think might be good. And then, you know, you just can't commit. You only have two ice cream flavors or three the choice becomes a lot easier. And so what I've been you know, speaking to churches is saying, like, don't conflate your method with your mission. A service is one method to fulfill the mission. But now that that service is being taken away, you know, we're seeing this with our church, we're seeing this with my friends' churches, you know, former churches that are across the country that I used to attend when I, and I lived in different places. It's like, oh, suddenly— Praying with one another over a live stream has become so much more frequent mm-hmm. and meaningful. And we've been like delivering food to people that don't have it. And we've been delivering supplies to people. And we've been answering one to one. And we've been hosting these Zoom calls where, you know, normally we wouldn't even connect, but now we are. And that's uh, something to be grateful for because, again, Innovation can thrive in limitation, and it's kind of exposing some of the things that we were doing poorly, which is a good thing. And and this is happening in all areas, not just the church. I mean, my family and I have been meeting on Zoom. We didn't meet this often before in person, and (laughs) and, and now we are. You know, I'm starting to eat better. I'm starting to work out more because I was realizing, (laughs) as I could not just glaze through my days with meetings and events, oh, these things aren't so good, and when I'm stuck at home, I'm realizing these habits, oh, these vulnerabilities existed, I just didn't know because they weren't so forefront, you know, being thrown into my face, and so I think that's the biggest benefit. You can almost use this as a time to heal, a time to evaluate and review and improve. Mm-hmm. It, everywhere is going to change because of this. It's not We're talking specifically about church because this is what we know the most, but I was talking to a friend um, this past week. It was like, yeah, I imagine a lot of offices are going to close, not because they need to, just because what's the point? We can do all this over Zoom now, and people are starting to realize that. For us, we've seen a lot of our groups grow. Like More people have been going to groups now because they're all online. You don't have to drive and worry about the kids, anything. So it's like when we come back to it, it's like, well, are we going to keep doing that? Like, Should we go back to the old model, or is this the – so? I think everything in the world is going to be doing that after this, reevaluating everything, let alone you now put it into where we know church. And like you said, there's some things that we were doing that we just always did that I think COVID-19 has stripped it away. And now we're forced to do it a different way that we're learning, oh, this might be a more effective and better way to do it is what it seems to be for me, at least on our end. Yeah. And that can be a good thing because you can take what was great before and you can take what was great in this interim period, and and now you can combine them. You can create fusion. You know, this is always a both and situation. Mm-hmm. We encourage churches to seize the 167 because your week has 168 hours. Maybe service is just one. You've got 167 hours where you can still reach people. And if you look at church budge- budgets when it comes to money, but also with time and creative resources, there's a huge over-indexing on that one-hour service. And you know, we like to create false dichotomies. Like, oh, are you saying the in-person service doesn't matter? No, of course not. But this is a both and. And at the end of this, what we will all have is a period where we've maybe only done in-person or highly prioritized in-person and a period where we've highly prioritized digital. And hopefully that would create uh, an environment for a more holistic response to church. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's great. So, um, go ahead, Eric. Man, this is this is a first for Not Your Mom as we're doing this not in the same room. <laughs> um, oh, okay, yeah. nice. And we already had um, my daughter come in at the very beginning of the interview. <laughs> 
But hey, that's life now. Mm-hmm. Um, how we talked about the ways this is going to help church. How do you think, or what ways do you could, do you see that this could potentially hurt? Um, maybe it might be the old models, but how do you think this time period that we're in right now, where we're doing everything online, how will this hurt the church at least in this time period, and maybe even in the future? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's going to severely impact many bottom lines for churches. Mm-hmm. You know, the brass tacks of, of money in. When your economic model is built upon people giving in person, and then you are no longer meeting in person, mm-hmm. you will take in considerably less money. And I've spoken mm-hmm. with many churches, you know, anywhere between 20 and 50% drops in giving almost immediately. And what does that translate to? That translates to layoffs. It translates to people taking in less money. Mm-hmm. And those are concrete things that are going to happen because of this. And for some churches, that also means like permanent closure. Maybe it means, you know, a, some type of bankruptcy or having to shut down. And I mean, that's the biggest obvious one that I see because you know, whether you're a nonprofit or a for-profit organization, you need money to operate. And if your economic model becomes severely impacted, that's going to translate to programming. It's going to translate to staff. It's going to translate to just the business organization existing at all. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 a tough pill to swallow for a lot of a lot of churches. But when it comes to, it's not just about having an online presence, right? You can still have an online presence and it still have a negative impact on your church. If you do things the wrong way, if you communicate the wrong way, you can give a bad first impression online. So what would you say to uh, to a lot of pastors or churches who are now forced into this and haven't really gotten that deep into the digital age? What's a good starting point for them to just get going, like obviously, because and I, I get I get your emails. So you send an email out about doing like casual uh, streaming or like on stage streaming, right? And, and what what is best for what you're trying to do? And not every church is able to be the mega church who has you know a social media person on staff and a digital person on staff. A lot of churches don't have that. So what's a good starting point for the church where it's like I don't know where to go. What's amazing is I've spoken with four pastors of churches in the thousands over the last two weeks, and all four of them have talked about finding ways to strip down the overly produced Sunday service for the purposes of online, even though they have the existing infrastructure and production workflows. They're like, it just doesn't make that much sense to have this crazy over-the-top like in-person service that we're just publishing online. Like we know no one's in these seats. Like Mm -hmm. pastor preach into the camera. We know you're not looking at anyone in those empty seats. And so my general thesis for this time right now, especially now that we're through Easter is, you know, we've got another four, eight, 12, 16 weeks ahead of us, perhaps of this, this is the reality and new normal for the foreseeable future. A stripped down, more casual approach to church online is just going to make more sense for the majority of churches in this season. And that can be embodied in so many different ways. But if you are a church that's not too familiar with tech, what's amazing is that you can create a live stream that you're looking right in the camera, direct to Facebook or direct to Instagram from your mobile device. And the quality of that video, the quality of that audio will not be a distraction for most people because our mobile devices can now create live streaming at that level of quality, which is an amazing blessing. This had happened 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah, for sure. We would be in a much more precarious situation. How would you connect with your church? You know, 
25 years ago before, you know, yeah. the majority of the nation, the continent, the world had internet. And so don't put too much pressure on yourself to create a big production. I know churches that can do that and are purposely not doing that because we're all at home. Your congregation's at home. We're recording this at home right now. Mm -hmm. You're at home, Pastor. It's synchronous and congruent to do a church at home experience as well. And you have to ask yourself, like, in an individual service, what is your desired outcome? Mm -hmm. And when you can really, like, dial into what that is, now you can begin to create a service order and introduce service elements that will help you accomplish that. So as an example, your desired outcome could be to administer hope. It could be to mobilize the saints. Mm -hmm. And then what you would do, those are two different ones, by the way, and <laughs> just have one desired outcome for one individual service. And then you could create service elements to create and deliver upon that desired outcome. And then you could do that in a grander sense and think, okay, if we're going to be at this for three months— what are the things that we want to accomplish in that time? And, and begin with the end in mind. And, and you could say, okay, these are the things that we want to accomplish in those three months. And then you can start planning out your services in that way. And what you're doing by doing that is you're starting to be intentional about creating services and ordering services instead of just kind of falling into that monotonous routine of four songs announcements message, six songs announcements message, whatever you might do. And that's what we've become. That's what happens when you have a church service every week. It's it's literally impossible to avoid that because there's 52 of them. <laughs> and you can just fall into the habit of doing the same thing over and over again. Well, this is an amazing opportunity because you literally can't do the same thing, nor should you. And that will allow us to get back to really getting to the to the root of why and what is the goal here? How are we best serving our congregation and community? Are you finding... Um pastors being extra discouraged at this point like per, for me personally um we've been figuring out how we're going to do this online service and um every week i feel like there's some kind of problem that comes up um this past week for us at least we we pre-recorded everything we premiered it on facebook and you might have seen you probably already know and for some reason it would like repeat like five times that it just ended the premiere it was like super weird not uh, we don't know what happened like we're i'm Every week feels like something like that's happening. We have like a pretty good team that knows what they're doing with stuff. Um, are you finding that pastors are just getting so discouraged about online services at this point? And what would you say to them to get them to keep going? Because like you said, we're going to be doing this uh, for a little while longer at least. So like what for the pastors that are discouraged with trying to do this and, and feel like they're not ministering the way they should, what, what would you say to them? Sure. Well, I would start by removing any and all expectations that you have on yourself as much as possible. I'm the type of person that holds myself to extremely high standards, so I'm not saying this is easy or even mm -hmm. possible to a full degree, but obviously offering yourself grace is the first step. And then I would really just try to create content that is incredibly low risk and sustainable. And you can even try doing this in micro formats. So we've seen a ton of churches, instead of doing their entire service on a Sunday, they'll do an eight to 12 minute message on Sunday, but then they'll do communion on Wednesday and they'll do joint worship on Tuesday. And maybe, maybe they'll just do a Q and a little devotional on Thursday. And if you, you know, on Sunday mornings, especially 
tech platforms are bending and sometimes, like in your case, breaking under the weight of mm-hmm. thousands upon thousands of organizations suddenly needing to live stream where they never did before. Yeah. And that type of influx you can't prepare for. And even though we're, what, six weeks into this, four weeks into this, like tech platforms are still reworking through the infrastructure they need to make it so, so it won't just crash like that. And so if you can break it up into more micro pieces of content on different days, you'll likely avoid those high traffic times. It's like when you take the route to work that's not during rush hour to avoid Mm -hmm. the traffic sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then what you can do is just lean into and celebrate the wins as much as possible. We found churches are seeing so much more engagement because they're doing things they never did before. So you're seeing way less engagement in a service and on a Sunday because like there is no Sunday, but that engagement is finding its way into other avenues and other opportunities. And that's leading to ministry happening and life change taking place. And so in all difficult times, obviously is, you know, you reset your expectations and then you celebrate the wins that do come in and lean into those as much as you can. And then just recognize that, you know, this too shall pass and the really tough times you can use them as learning opportunities as much as you can, but you know sometimes stuff just happens that sucks. And uh, I think one of the things I've learned at my age of 29, so I haven't actually learned this, <laughs> say that, goodness. It's like my belief is that grit and resiliency are one of the most valuable attributes of a leader because life just wants to beat you up and it will take every opportunity that it can to have you permanently shift your perspective. I remember being in in youth group and and being at church, and we had an amazing church, an amazing youth group, but seeing so many of the parents of my peers, and even though they went to church and, you know, were Pentecostal, spirit-filled believers, which was my tradition, like, so many of them still seemed, like, cynical and, and beaten up on life. And I remember thinking, like, what happened? And then, you know, you spend a decade in adulthood and, you know, like, I've had enough betrayal in my 20s and I, you know, my mom passed away unexpectedly and, like, you know— terrible things happen. You're like, oh, these things just keep happening. And they just keep beating you up over and over and over again until eventually you're like, I'm just not going to get up this time because I don't want to go through it again. And that's where I think like the grit and resiliency and most importantly, like a Christ-centered mindset and perspective on life are so important because, you know, we believe in a, a person that takes dead things and brings them to life and offers hope amidst despair. And it's that narrative and that underlying truth that we have to cling on to the most in these things so that we don't become bitter and cynical over time because the pull is going to always be there. Now that That's a sermon right there. <laughs> I might use that this coming Sunday there, Brady. <laughs> but, um, all right, I have a two-part question. Don't give him any credit, Shane. Give him <laughs> <Yeah>. no credit. <laughs> I, have a, I have a two-part question for you, okay? How do churches stay engaged with our congregation now since, since we can't meet in person, right? Like what are some practical things that we can do to stay engaged with our congregation? And then beyond that, this is a question that Eric and I were talking about before we got on with you, and we've talked about – we've been texting with other pastors. A common question that pastors have is how do we track new people or visitors right online like how i don't even know how to know that a new person checked in on our church without them specifically messaging and telling me that and that may be the only answer but what are some suggestions that you have for keeping track of new people who find us during this time because this is unprecedented and we've never done this in the history of the church so how do we stay engaged with our congregation and how do we connect with new people 
Yeah, so great. Let's start with the congregation. Uh, what's amazing is that we are all spending all our time on social. Unless we're being very mindful to monitor our time on social, there's probably going to be an increase in time spent on those platforms, which means we can reach people on those platforms. And so one of the easiest archetypes, as a very practical example, is to turn a question that you've received from someone in your congregation in this time into a 10-minute live Q&A. And you start the Q&A with that question. And that question could have been something like, hey, I'm really worried about getting laid off right now. My company is you know, going through this like everyone else. Like, what do I do? I'm just so worried. Mm. And you just take that question and then you do a 10-minute devotional in response to that. And I love doing these where we start with a question from someone in our congregation because what it does is it shows that we value two-way dialogue and we're not just like doing our sermon series that we always planned and we're sticking to what we want you to know. It's saying, we know, congregation, you're going through this just as we are. And what we want to do is provide practical hope in times, in timely ways with what you're going through. And what's also great about using questions is that you don't have to come up with the ideas. Just yeah. wait for a question to come in or intentionally ask for a question. And then you can anonymize it if you want. Like if you get it through email, like you don't have to say, oh, yeah, Deborah said this. Like, oh, okay, we all know who Deborah is. That, now we know her business. <laughs> you don't need to do that. You say, hey, we got a question about this and say it in an anonymous way because we're all going through the exact same thing right now. So one, that's going to show that you value two-way dialogue and you're not just a church all about you. Two, if someone in your church is feeling it, it means like 20% of people are feeling it. Mm -hmm. So now everyone suddenly feels heard. That's like the easiest way to know what your people are thinking without yeah. actually having to like really do the hard work to find it. Uh, and then for engaging with people that are new, what you generally have to do is just like you are in service, you have to ask for people to take an intentional step. Mm -hmm. So just like let's say in service you have a connect card where you ask people to fill it in you can simply say hey just type the word new in the comments below and we'll follow up with you mm -hmm. because on digital platforms that new is connected to a person's profile and you can message them so it's actually even easier to connect to new people in that way than have them to fill out a card mm -hmm. with pen and then take it to a connect center and look a person in the eye and say hi i am showing you that i'm new with this card mm -hmm. you can also create a link um thinking that people are on their phones in this time uh, it's probably not going to be best to say, hey, text this number because people are probably already on their phones, yeah. which mm. might make it a bit more difficult. So a link is really easy. Someone can visit that within their browser at all times. And uh, you can just have it like you could drop it in the comments and have someone click it. I would also start I would also create right away a really memorable next step link that you use for all like new person interactions during this time. So get a custom URL. It's really short, really memorable, really easy to spell. And then use that as like the main call to action for all new people. But then you can also ask them, hey, comment, I'm new. Comment just new, three letters, really easy. Uh, I'm putting together a video right now on like how to track attendance and engagement reliably and accurately because we're all figuring this out for the first time. But it's okay to explicitly ask for these things. Like if you've ever watched a YouTube video, mm -hmm. you've probably heard someone say, hey, smash the like button and subscribe, <laughs> thumbs up, comment. I'm a YouTuber. I always thought that was so silly. I was like, why are you asking for this? Like, it's so cheese. Then yeah. I started doing it, and, like, the metrics doubled. And I was like, what? <laughs> All I have to do is ask people to like it, and then they'll like it, and then by liking it, it'll be indexed in search more favorably? Okay, well, yeah, that does make sense to do. Yeah. You just have to ask for people mm. to do things. And so having a system where 
everyone that's always on screen is doing the same thing. So just say, this is the one URL we always promote. And if you are new, just type the word new in and we'll follow up with you later this week. Our two easy ones. That's good. Yeah. What are some uh, mistakes you find that churches are making right now? Because that's a good one. And even, you even said like the text one. And we know churches, that's what they've been doing is ask people to text a certain number. So um, do you, what, what easy mistakes are people making that you think could be easy, quick fix to not do that anymore? Sure. Um, I would say the easiest one is not responding and interacting with your church in this time. So much of what we do in person is very much you sit there and then you're going to consume what we give you. Mm -hmm. If you translate that model to online, it feels really awkward because then you're never hearing from the church and talking back. And this is a time also for like the, the, the staff and leadership to really like lean into their individual social profiles as well. Because connecting with what looks like a real person is going to be really awesome in this time. And, and so those are two like, easy ones that jump out to mind. I mean, the bigger picture one is just trying to recreate our services in online venues because it just doesn't make as much sense that way. Do you find that some churches post too much or post the same content too much? Like, And I'm more cynical about some uh, churches Facebook stuff. So at times I'll see stuff and be like, ah, oh, that's kind of cheesy or I don't really like that. Um, do you find that there's like a, it, or it depends on the church, but is there like a stat of like how many times you should be posting or how often and what's a good post? Like, do you find the churches are messing that up because they just don't know they're throwing whatever clip art they find to the wall and hoping that sticks? Or like, what do you see happening there? Right. I mean, you definitely want to be intentional with what you post and every post ideally would tie to some desired outcome that you want. And and you don't want to just be doing things for no reason. Um, But at the same point, the algorithm is really good at showing people what they want to see at the right time. Post timing used to be a lot more important than it is now, you know, like publishing oh, at noon every day because that's when our most followers are online. Well, it's not really how the algorithm works anyway. The algorithm is going to test what you post with a small group. And if a lot of those small group like it, then it will show your post to more people. And so timing isn't as important. And also frequency is not as important anymore. That said, the one a day rule is still pretty good. It's it's basically finding the balance between two sliders. Like I imagine sliders on a mixing board and one of them is quantity and one is quality. And I'm always trying to increase the quality slider infinitely. But often when I increase it, I have to then pull down on the quantity slider. And I never want to push the quality so high that my quantity like goes down too far. And so you're trying to find the balance there. Mm. Right now, I've actually stopped posting once a day on most platforms to make it more two to three times a day because I just I had to increase the quality slider this year because I was just like, I want to improve what we're doing. And that necessitated posting less. And and so finding the balance between those two, you know. Yeah points is always difficult and it's different for everyone you know your quality at the beginning won't be as high as let's say mine is as a professional like content creator who's been doing it for a decade and that's okay because mine right now quality slider is not going to be as good as it will be next year Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Well, Brady, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk us through a lot of stuff and everything that you're saying. I'm just like making mental notes in my head of like, okay, I need to do this. I need to do this and thinking about it. And it's really helpful. And I'm, we're going to share this with other pastors because we're all, all the pastors are talking right now, at least the pastors that we know, because we're like, this is uncharted waters. Never before have we done ministry this way. And we're all trying to figure it out on the fly. So, um, 
your content has never been more important than it is now for, for a lot of churches. So we appreciate you uh, putting all this stuff together. And we're glad that it was in place before this happened <laughs> and not <laughs> and not trying to figure it out um, uh, along with everybody else. But thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, for all of the encouragement. And uh, we look forward to checking in more with you. Get, let people know again how they can find you, how they can find out more about uh, uh, everything that you put together. Yeah, we're Pro Church Tools on YouTube. We also have a podcast. If listening to your to a podcast is is your thing, Pro Church Tools, just search in your podcast uh, app of choice. And then if you want to connect with me personally, at Brady Shearer on Instagram or Twitter, S H E A R E R. It's a biblical word, shear, as in one who <laughs> shears sheep. So that's awesome. You can connect with me personally there. Well, thank you, Brady. We really appreciate you coming on with us. Thank you for listening to Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a nice review. To support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash nymchristianpodcast. Music provided by The Revived. Check them out at therevivedmusic.com. Stay connected with us by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter and Instagram.